Marketing is using the customer to solve business problems, whereas CX is using the business to solve customer problems. But I don't see any brand spending anywhere near enough time on the, the concept of retention. And that's, that's the number one thing to look at. If you put one new agent on your customer service on live chat, that will make the cost of their wage and their agent fee back in two days of the month. And the rest of the month will be, will be cream. Welcome to the e-commerce experience, the podcast that turns you into an e-commerce expert. Your host, Andrew Rodgenkamp, shares his wealth of B2B and B2C business experience to take you on an e-commerce adventure. Each month, you'll hear from industry experts and meet people just like you, looking to take their business to new heights online. All right, welcome to the e-commerce experience, and this is podcast number three. My name's Andrew Rodgenkamp, and this is a podcast to help uh, people out there to get the best out of e-commerce, both in B2B and B2C. So here we are in, I guess, month two of COVID-19, and I think everybody's sort of gotten fairly used to um, what's going on now and really looking forward to those restrictions being lifted, certainly down here in Australia. I'm not sure what it is around the west of the world, but um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of companies that have learned how to work remotely. Um, uh, we're seeing a lot of companies that are really taking this time to do a lot of things, especially around e-commerce that they don't really have time to do uh, when they're too busy, you know, in the business as usual sort of phase. So, that, so that's really good. That's encouraging. Uh, we've certainly seen a lot of B2B companies that have quickly implemented some B2C capability, uh, especially in that food services area where they really need to sell those products. Uh, a lot of those products, if they don't sell them soon, uh, they're going to the tip. So that's really important for those customers and, and those sort of sites are, are really starting to take off. Um, and we've actually got, uh, we've seen a lot of customers out there, out in the, um, you know, talking to customers that are doing some really unbelievable numbers. And it really depends on the type of products you're selling. Uh, if you're selling uh, fitness equipment, you're doing pretty well. If you're selling stuff that people can do at home while they're not going to sport and that sort of thing, they're doing well. Of course, if you're selling anything in PPE, interesting, PPE was a term that not many people knew. Uh, six weeks ago, but um, uh, everybody knows what PPE stands for now. So that's really interesting as well. So today's topic we want to talk about is customer experience. You often hear it called, it's called CX. And I think in today's environment, especially with a lot of sites getting customers that they've never seen before, uh, a lot of e-commerce is happening um, with individuals out there that have chosen never to do e-commerce before. I think customer ex experience is super important. You've got customers that are hitting your site that are going to be first-time customers, and depending on how you treat those customers will determine whether they come back to you long-term or they're just a COVID-19 customer. So today we've got a gentleman called Danny Phillips, and he's from a company called Arcade, and he's a CX expert. Uh, so, welcome along to the podcast, Danny. Thanks for having me. So, Danny, maybe you can give us a bit of background about um, what you do, where you've been, and um, you know what what, uh, what you can give to the podcast today. Yeah, no worries. Um, we've worked mainly in the discretionary retail uh, industry, so very much on a, a B to C approach for most of the most of the time that we've been going. Um, we've been going for over twenty years in our company. We sort of started out as a design studio that moved into communications and digital, mm -hmm. um, social media when that was a new new way of getting to customers. Then we started doing more in the e commerce and transactional space, and it's really only the last five years that we've decided to lock ourselves in on this concept of customer experience because we felt that the, the term digital was 
kind of obvious. Uh, calling yourself a digital agency, it's, it's, it's pretty of, broad, of isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and of course there's digital involved in everything. So I think the term digital, whether it be in a role title or in an agency or a business, is uh, a bit redundant these days. Is, if you're not yeah. digital, then you've got some problems. Exactly. Yeah, so customer experience um, for us is uh, basically the sum of all the experiences a customer has um, with with a brand. Um, so as an agency, uh, we really wanted to not sort of put ourselves in a corner and only do e-commerce work or only do app work or customer service work or email marketing work. It's it's all sort of combined together. Mm-hmm. To sum it all up, it's the concept of retention, really. Yep. It's how do you retain customers? We're not really in the acquisition game. Mm-hmm. Um, genuine loyalty, genuine advocacy is what we're trying to do. There's, I know Seth Godin's a bit of a go-to person. Um, yeah, I get um, his blogs, yeah. But he's got a great idea of this sort of minimum viable audience, the idea that as a business, you really need to focus on making sure that you're, you're appealing to the minimum number of people that you need to appeal to in order to be a viable business. It's, it's less about trying to be all things to all people. So having that focus is important. Yeah, we, we, I often talk about that 80-20 rule that um, often 80% of your customers make up 20% of your revenue and 20% of your customers uh, make up 80% of your revenue. So you can have a really high cost to serve on that 80% that aren't really generating a lot of revenue for you. Definitely. Uh, and it becomes, as you say, not viable to be doing that. So if you've if you've got a model that 90% of your customers are generating 10%, you know, you've got some real problems there because it's the, the cost to serve 90% of your customers is way higher than it should be. Yeah, and I, I find brands um, or businesses do spend, if they've got a, a retail footprint um, uh, out in the real world and they've got their e-commerce efforts or their online efforts, I often find that they will proportionately spend the amount of effort serving all customers equally. Mm. So 90% of your effort and your investment is going to making sure those 90% of people that make a very small portion of your revenue mm. happy. So whereas a CX-centered strategy is really about standing shoulder to shoulder with your best customer, looking back towards the brand and going, okay, brand, I as a customer are part of your top 10 or 20%. Um, you as a brand define part of who I am as a customer. I buy from lots of brands, but this brand that I'm talking about now, I buy a lot through them. So they are defined by people like me as a brand, mm. um, and I as a customer is defined by this this particular brand um, because you're one of my my special brands that I deal with. Mm. C- CX strategies, functions, features, utilities, approaches, the whole thing should be disproportionately centered around what those that small number of people want and everyone else be damned almost. I'd rather see you happily turn someone away. Um, I saw saw a great example during this COVID-19 thing where in my local area, there's local butchers and even the the local Woolworth supermarket was turning away people from outside of town that are obviously coming in there to scoop up, um, you know, bulk buying meat from the butcher. And the butcher would be going, well, I don't know who you are. I've never seen you before. And I don't know why you want to buy 20 kilos of mincemeat. So that COVID, uh, the COVID fling customer you mentioned at at the front, I think is a really good point. So that's that was always true. This concept was always true. Um, you shouldn't have your best customer lining up behind an average customer. You know, if you go to say a Guzman and Gomez, the burrito um, company, you'll see that their best customers do download the app. They do get that sort of. I just want to reorder what I ordered yesterday, and they'll walk straight up to the counter and pick up their order while everyone else is lining up. Everyone else is lining up is just going, "Mm, I want a burrito today. I'm not even paying attention to that brand logo. They just sell the food that I want. 
they're making some money, but they're happy to line up and they're not part of the best customer because that customer might buy a burrito today and you never see them again. Whereas the one that's got the app that's walking up, that's getting the better experience, that's, that's the best customer experience. And I think it's important to enforce that um, th- those customers' experience. And I think the, a really good example of a company that hasn't done that well out of it, uh, doing that sort of thing, and they've improved recently is Qantas when it comes to the business class line and the platinum line and things like that. So until recently, there was there's always been two lines, but they do not enforce who lines up in each line. And that makes those yeah. really high-frequent flyers, the, the people that are flying with Qantas week in and week out infuriated when you see a whole lot of people lining up in those lines that you know, you know, and it's not being, you know, elitist or anything. It's just that you spend half your life on a plane, you're loyal to that brand, and you want some recognition for it. Definitely. I mean, I think it's funny watching when we often use the frequent flyer programs um, as an example when we start talking about maybe loyalty or um, known customer programs. Often it's because the executives we talk to it's one of the only loyalty programs that they're really engaged with. So they think the one thing I would sort of just uh, before I respond to your point, the one thing I always like to point out is just be very careful about differentiating a brand that is a grudge purchase versus a, an enjoyment purchase. They're very different types of categories. So shopping, flying, insurance, fintech, anywhere where you have to do it anyway. It's a grudge purchase. Like I, I need to be in Sydney. I don't need to fly, but I have to. Yeah. So I'm not going to walk. So, and they they do a really good job of making that as good an experience as possible. Whereas buying fashion or apparel or you know toys for your kids, something else is not really a grudge purchase. It's actually you enjoy the purchase right. process. So, I sort of mentioned that because the whole priority queue thing. I think here in Australia specifically, that sort of whole tall poppy thing. The idea that for a while, their customers did even people that had the priority queue access wouldn't line up in it because they didn't like sort of showing off in that sort of queue. Everyone would just line up with everyone else. Mm. Now, this is a, a decade or so ago, um, but very quickly that's turned around now. And this idea of, of a two speed experience is almost expected now. And I think Qantas and Virgin have done that. But but then by breaking that rule themselves, they've really undermined you know, something that they've taken so that you know, they've sort of fought so hard to create in the first place and the fact that sometimes the priority line's longer than the, the average line. Well, I find that too, yeah. The, the priority line, you know, depending on which airport you're at, if you're in Perth where, you know, pretty much every fly-in, fly-out worker's a gold or platinum frequent flyer, the priority yeah. line's a lot longer. But, um, yeah, and then they let them through both at the same time. So it doesn't really – I used – you know, I just get in the, the, the economy line because often it's shorter and they go through at the same time. But now what they're doing is quite good is they're just letting all of those priority people go through and then letting the other ones go through. So letting yeah. them get settled yeah. and uh, take that priority. So in terms of customer experience, I, I think if you look at it, the concept has been around forever. It's been around way before e-commerce came out. That whole, oh, yeah. you know, it's it's nothing new. This is not um, this is this is not a new concept to do with e-commerce. It's it's really just wrapping that whole go to woe experience up. But e-commerce is a big part of it, obviously. I think I think the best way to describe the evolution of CX is that. 20 years ago, we had a thing called good old-fashioned customer service, um, and the customer's always right, right? Um, and businesses were small enough to be able to, when a, when a customer that they knew walked in the door, they could pick up where they left off because the employees had been there for 10 years. There isn't a, people weren't moving around that much, so the, their local store was their local store. All these factors meant that customers customer experience was just- It was, all, it was largely face-to-face. 
Yeah, exactly. So then what happened is over the, you know, and agencies like me are responsible for some of this downfall. I think we've, we've sort of created the problem in the first place is we, we've made, we've helped brands or, you know, help to sort of completely fragment their experience. So there's, there's so many ways that a customer can discover, can browse, can decide, can shortlist, can purchase, can return, can recommend across so many different channels now that it's, it's fragmented. And in order to manage that, the brands have to invent e-commerce departments and marketing departments, all these different departments that have got misaligned KPIs and metrics that they're being judged on that all of a sudden started working against concepts of good old-fashioned customer service. So CX, I think, is the discipline of bringing back good old-fashioned customer service. So often we get sort of knowing smiles from the the older executives in the room because they go, yeah, this sounds very familiar and I'm sick of being bamboozled by technology. This is great. We're starting to talk about this now. So it's one line I like to use because often CX and marketing get lumped in the same bucket. And I like to differentiate the two and say, well, marketing is using the customer to solve business problems, whereas CX is using the business to solve customer problems. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So once once you identify what the customer problems are, and another way to frame that is the jobs to be done for the customer or what the customer uses your brand for, um, Why? Yeah, not why do they love you, but just what jobs do they get done by using your brand? Once you define those things, then you say, well, okay, well, how do they do those jobs? And how does our brand help them do those jobs? And yeah, an example I can often use here in in sort of apparel retail is I go to your website, I look at seven different pairs of pants, um, and then I go to your store and say, I want to buy the black pants that I was looking at. And the store person goes, well, I've got lots of different pants and lots of black ones. I don't know which one you're looking at. And then I'll say something like, yeah, but I'm pretty sure those pants that I looked at have been following me around the internet all week because of your very clever ad- advertising technology. Um, why don't you, as a brand, know which one I was looking at? Because I was logged into the website. Yeah, I've even maybe saved it into my wish list on the on the website and you don't, how come you don't know? And you go, well, I'm not the e-commerce department. That's, you need to talk to the e-commerce guys about that. I'm the retail department. Mm. And the customer's going, yeah, but you're, you're the brand, right? Sometimes so that, stores that's- see the, the e-commerce side as their competition almost. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's. I think um, the 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 channel conflict, which normally is more about wholesale and retail, we're seeing channel conflict within within a brand that's fully integrated. Mm. Stores are losing sales to the to the e-commerce team, and 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 often begrudgingly doing click and collect for the e-commerce team as well. So yeah, so we find that a line like part of a CX strategy is looking at and realigning KPIs and attribution so that you're not actively working against your customers. Uh, one, another good example that I've, I've referenced quite a few times is the in-store availability feature on a website using inventory mm. from your store network. So obviously if you've got accurate store inventory, which uh, I'm sure is a battle for most brands in <laughs> anyway. Um, so here's another reason to get it right. If your store inventory is accurate, then on your website, you can say, well, you're looking at this um, particular product um, at our Chadston store, we've got 23 in stock or we've got adequate stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can sort of use fuzzy, weaselly words if you need to. Now, will that feature on the website increase the conversion rate of the website, which is the key KPI of the e-commerce manager? No, it might actually hurt their conversion rate. Yeah, it will. So now all of a sudden you've got an e-commerce manager going, why would I prioritize this feature on the website? It's gonna hurt my KPI. Yet when we go and um, look at the customer service logs or the in-store 
um, we do a straw poll at stores and say, can you count the number of phone calls you got today where you were doing a stock lookup for a customer who's deciding whether to walk into your store or not? And yeah, it's 40, 50% of all calls to stores and 40% of all calls to the head office customer service is an in-store lookup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I've seen one where they've got not only what they've got on stock in the store, but this is a company that sells um, DJ equipment, but they'll also say what they've got on demo. And if you think about buying anything where you want to, you know, you can look at a speaker online and say, yeah, that looks really good, but you're buying a speaker for what it sounds like. And so if somebody knows that they can go into the, this company's got stores in every cap city, is that they can see that it, it's on demo, they jump in their car and they can listen to it. It's, it's, it's a big selling feature for them. I think uh, that's that's a hugely important point. And I think coming out of this into the new normal, there's a there's a phrase that I've sort of coined called intentional commerce, that the idea that people aren't going to be just browsing anymore. People aren't just going to you know, walk into Chadston and just walk around and yeah. see what jumps out at them anymore. They're going to go to a website. They're going to see that they like the product, that it's in stock, and to your point that I, that I will be able to go in there and demo it at that particular store. Mm. And then and only then will I plan my trip and I come in there and I will go. Any, and so I'd expect conversion rates in stores to be lifting just like they are online. Because, because people not, are going to I'm afford going to, those, to, to be in public places unless they really have to be. That's, that's the message I'm hearing out there. Definitely. I mean, I think even if we get the complete all clear, which is still going to be, what, a year or so away, I think psychologically psychologically, people are going to be are going to just be different. They're not going to be able to just switch it back into the normal mode. And that's great. I think, yeah, if you think about that, what that means, it means we're not having a whole lot of retail zombies walking around or, you know, consumerism zombies walking around, just taking up time. Mm. You know, just it's a, it's, a, it's a waste for everyone. It's a waste for the store teams. It's a waste for the, the stock. It's people buying stuff and taking it home and bringing it back. It's all these sorts of things. a lot of that, that isn't it? People bringing products back. They, they bring them home and then take them back the next day or after they've used them in some cases. Yeah, well, I think that's that, that's probably another good topic to talk about. Um, I think if you're looking at what good CX strategies are, the whole managing the returns process um, is, or, and thinking about your return strategy is is a really good one. I think often we see the evolution of returns. It works this way: customers buy from e-commerce and then they have to return to e-commerce. They're not, they're not allowed to return to store because of all that channel conflict mm. attribution we talked about earlier. Then brands realise that that's a bit inconvenient, so they start letting customers return to wherever they want to return. The next evolution is stores start going, well, if you return to a store, that's an opportunity to upsell or cross-chell or sell or yeah. try something different. So they start waking up to the opportunity and that's kind of good. Then the next thing that happens is um, e-commerce teams start seeing, oh, Danny's just bought three shirts of the same style in, in different sizes. You know, he will be returning something, obviously. Right. So let's make sure we put um, a return bag in there rather than make him request it and then go. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. And, so you're actually maybe we'll into only- their intention. You, you're fine. You're saying, yeah. I'm fine with that. It's the same way you you do it in-store. So I'm just giving you that in-store experience except you're getting it at home. Exactly. And then you think about the idea that, well, we will give that to, to Danny because his annual spend with us is over $1,500, whereas we're not going to give it to Andrew, um, even though he spent the same amount as Danny did today because we've never seen him before. Yeah. So maybe we don't give that experience mm. to him just yet. Mm. So you know, again, aligning your best experiences to your best customers because often brands will say, well, I can't afford to give a return bag to yeah, every exactly. customer. And we're yeah. saying, 
Mm. You don't have to give it to every customer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I think that 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 sort of returns is is really a remote change room experience with a deposit. Just treating it that way is the is the way to think about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's an evolution. Every brand's sort of working through where they're at with that, um, and sort of making peace with some of the decisions. It's, it's, it's sort of like evolving from transactional thinking to more sort of customer value thinking. If you're trying to make your strategic decisions around the value of this transaction, mm-hmm. I'll only do free shipping if it's over a certain amount today. And then who cares what value this customer has? That's like where a good CX strategy allows you to have a bit more of a broader view. Yeah. Just to get those customers that are important to you to continue to buy for you. It's a no brainer for them. To, to buy those products. Yeah, and I think if you, but if you've got transactional rules in place, then a really valuable customer might say, sorry, you can't have free shipping because you've only ordered $70 worth of stuff. Yeah, yeah but well, I could have well, ordered a $25,000 product yesterday and now I've just forgot <laughs> one cable for that and I'm going to exactly. get charged $15 freight. It's a great example, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, so it's about making sure that that, um, that the customer is the, the logic's attached to the customer, not to the transaction or the yeah, action. That's, um, that's really important. Yeah. What about in B two B, Danny? You, you know, um, I, I know you've got a lot of experience in B two C. Have you done much work in B two B around the CX type thing? Not a whole lot. I mean, we've worked in some in some medical spaces in sort of a bit of a side in a side life doing some things there. Um, I think some of our retailers are quite big intent, like big purchases, whether it be homewares or something else. So I think it's almost uh, when like it comes a to spending, yeah. well, yeah, yeah, and I, and I think and also we've got when, you, when you're talking about the best customer, so we've got someone like an apparel brand that's got a customer that's that does spend thirty thousand dollars a year um, now. Um, that's that's B two B in my book. So um, I sort of see it as a blurry line. I think at the end of the day, these are the same humans. They're the same humans that buy a shirt that you know that say yes to a, a what three hundred thousand dollar order on refrigeration parts for you know, a, a, a national tender, right? So um, the same rules apply. I think people are saying, I've got jobs to do, make it easier for me. Um, one example we've had that's sort of B2B is in um, uh, the tool space. So we've got an app for tradies that buy through a, a tools retailer. They hate passwords and don't like websites. They want to do it all on an app because they're on their mobiles all day. So great, we just use a SMS-based password login to activate the app rather than trying to make them remember passwords. Yeah, that's that's sort of an idea. And there's somewhere inside the app, there's a way to export a CSV of the last financial year's purchases right. that you can, yeah. that it gets attached to an email that I'm, we guess that they forward to their accountant. Mm. So it's the idea that yeah, showing your purchase history is something you'd expect a brand to show their customers, but repackaging that up from a business context to be something that's useful for that small business is, um, but we just see that as a power user. We just see that as customer experience as well. So um, it's just about understanding that a B2B customer is just a customer that has very high needs for specific utilities. To, and if they have to choose between vendor A, B, or C, they're going to pick the vendor that makes their day easier, that helps them that's get right. their job yeah. done. Yeah, and, and that's what I often talk about with B two B is 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 that you know I, I'll call a you know in B two C you you're calling it a, a buyer, a, sorry, a, you know a shopper, a consumer, but in B two B they're really buyers, they're, and their job during the day, you know, they don't leave home and say, oh, I'm off to work to go and buy some stuff. That's just often part of what they have to do as their normal job. So it might be somebody who's the office manager that has to buy stationery from one of the big stationery companies. And they just want to get that transaction done 
quickly, efficiently, and then move on. And that whole CX part of it that, that goes all the way from when the sales rep first spoke to them about pricing to how that pricing is obeyed on the website, to how the products were delivered, what they looked like when they delivered, where they delivered to the right departments within my business and all of that sort of stuff gets down to, you know, that whole CX. Look, I think, I mean, I don't know why we keep using airlines as an example, but I mean, I used to book my own Virgin flights using their consumer portals. Um, I, I became a power user and I was starting to get a, annoyed by just all the sort of, oh, you're buying a flight. This could be the first and last time you ever buy a flight. So let's throw the full kitchen sink at you. And then we set up a business account and the, the business account is super lean, super light, works on mobile, is just it's just about who's flying, where they're going, here's the it's done. Get it over You've already possible. made your decision. You know, they're not trying to yeah. sell you anything. The fact that you've got a fly has already been decided. You're just you just need to, you know get it done. Get it done. Yeah. But isn't it isn't it disappointing that that amazingly slick, super fast experience isn't available to the average consumer? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I had no uh, idea that was there. So we book all of our flights on Qantas just on the you know the standard Qantas.com.au, and yeah, you go through that whole experience every time. Whereas you know we do the same thing every time. We just want the same sort of flights. Yep. So saving my details, saving my credit card, saving all my delivery address, you know, being able to pick up where you left off, they're the sorts of terms that you you should be asking yourself, whether it be B2B or B2C, can my customers pick up where they left off? CRMs get thrown around a lot as a solution to this problem, but I think CRM isn't there to help the customer or the client or the buyer. It's there to help the seller, the marketer. So th- th- those tools are designed to help you sell more, not to help them buy more. There's, yep. a, there's a big difference. Yeah, that's right. So, And I guess ERP comes into it as well because without the ERP system there being able to fulfill and efficiently ship the products and let other systems know about that transactional data that occurs, uh, it's very hard to make a customer have a good experience. Yeah, it's interesting. As we build out these sort of CX ecosystems, you're trying to decide you know, the roles that all of these platforms play and how they work together. What we've found, and this is where the Omnio product, which is you know, a bit of a shameless plug there, um, that we've developed, sort of we've, we've, we've designed it to fill a gap where we find that between, say, an ERP and a CRM or any of those sorts of things, they've got all the, I call them the final facts. They're, that's where the product, the price, the transaction, the customer record, the customer ID must live in your ERP. It's it's the final facts for your accounting for you know for all those sorts of things. Yeah. But they're not those tools generally aren't accessible um, in real time while I'm trying to do a job or, or while a customer's trying to do a job. Yeah, exactly. Or the interfaces aren't um, optimized for getting jobs done. They're, they're designed for for interacting with facts. Yeah. Um, so what we find is you end up with either um, some clever interfaces through middleware or um, other platforms where you, you have what I call functional facts. What's the customer's copy of all this information? So when I'm actually talking to them on the phone or in real life or they've got their own phone in front of them, that they can access their functional facts to get jobs done quickly. And then if any new facts get created, like I'm repurchasing that thing I bought last time, then a new that happens in that nice customer optimized experience. And then it, it will end up as a final fact back in the the big dirty ERP where where the final truth is. Yeah. Um, so like that that sort of thinking around CX software and CX strategies is, you know, try to find experience focused software that is designed for the customer to help them buy, 
Right. And then integrate it back into the into the, the core things which are there to help you sell and help you understand your business and help, yeah, when you close all the doors to your customers and go, right, what's going on? They're the tools you look at, your ERP and all those things. But when you open the doors to the customer, whether it be a website or a selling process or a salesperson's tablet or whatever else, those tools need to be super fast, be able to be changed. Interfaces should be thrown out and redone every six to 12 months. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen in ERP. I mean, e- ERP, no. I've been working in ERP for you know 30 years and my experience is, is that some customers upgrade once every three years um, some I, I've got I, I've known of a customer that hasn't upgraded their ERP since 1998, and they still run mm. efficiently on it. But when you compare that to e-commerce, where you know you've got customers really upgrading their e-commerce functionality, UI, UX, all of that, maybe every three to four months, it's the the, the cycle mm. around it is is phenomenal. And that should be true. I mean, I think that's where you know where where agencies you know like ours and like yours are, are, are providing those sorts of that sort of that service to say these are the, the big monoliths and the big this the glacial parts of your business that need to move slowly because when you change them, it's a, it's a big deal. Mm. Um, and they maybe don't need to change as long as you've got a couple of you've got an interface out to your business logic, and then that business logic can be exposed in real time to experiences. Yep. That humans use, yeah. um, as long as those interfaces exist, then yeah, that takes the pressure off needing to to move ERPs all the time. I think you can do a lot with some pretty old state. I mean, those old ERPs. Are- yeah, the role of ERP yeah. certainly. When I first started in ERP in the early nineties, it was everything. It did everything from, you know, the mm. accounts, the the uh, inventory management, the CRM, uh, rentals, manufacturing, all of that. Whereas these days, the role of ERP, I almost call it the plumbing. It's 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 the plumbing mm. system where, and now you've got all these other systems that are quite e- not easily integrated, but are integratable to those ERP systems. And ERP really is sort of really, as you say, just that transactional end at the back end that um, you know stores that source of data. You know that one truth of yeah. data at the, at the back end. There's one. There's a few terms that go around when we talk about CX that I think can that can sort of cause problems. It's this idea of a um, a single view of customer or a single point of truth. Mm. That's it's a utopia that isn't possible. So uh, it's about talking about a shared view of customer. Um, it's this idea of rather than thinking in the terms of a suite, a big monolithic suite that everything's in, like the old ERPs, um, you talk about a stack where you've got the ERP plays a role, but you've got a, a best of breed light customer service engine over here, and you've got a email marketing tool there, and you've got an e-commerce front end over there, and an app framework over here, and a, a, a sales rep app that we've developed that yeah. that might lean on top of the It's really the a best of breeds stack. world these days. It's the, the day yes. yeah. know, having one application that is all things to all people is just just way gone. No, because as soon as you do that, it won't move fast enough. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so, I mean, it can be challenging. And I, I think some businesses that are out there start getting a bit sort of worn down by the complexity. Um, they go, well, now I'm managing you know, 12 different vendors and you know, I've just got this one going and now I'm feeling I have to change that. But I think you know, that's the world. I think you've, you've got to have a team that can that is comfortable with doing that. And um, if, you, if you're not re-platforming at least one part of your business, Always, they should always be reassessing. I'd be very surprised mm. if all or if if your entire stack is is remains best of breed for your customers in your industry um, for more than 
three years, right? So I'd imagine that you should always be updating something for the right reasons because you're delivering a better experience, getting better efficiency, saving money. I've seen some brands go from hugely expensive email marketing stacks or you know or components of their stack and then going to um, much lighter ones because they realized they didn't use 80% of the features of that big marketing tool that they were sold. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of opportunity to to save money and do better things. Mm-hmm. So what is a you know you do CX strategy, what does a CX strategy look like? What does it entail? It's, there's a a lot of talking to customers, I imagine, and then you know coming up with a strategy and what components are in there and what the steps are to implement. Yeah, I mean, we sort of break it into three parts. There's good old-fashioned goal discovery, like what is a brand trying to achieve um, just in general? I mean, customers are obviously going to play a role in that, So, but we just need to know from the brand's point of view, what are you doing? How do you value things? How do you choose what to invest in and how your appetite for risk and all those other things? So that's what we call sort of goal or um, viability. Then you talk about... um, Feasibility, that's where we go, right, show us your tech stack. Show us where everything talks to each other. Where are the gaps? What are the disasters? What are the skeletons in the closet? What are the things that are working really well from a technical point of view? Do you have the culture and capability to support it? Are your vendors on board? Do they move with you or not? So that's what we call the feasibility um, or platform discovery step. And then we do what we call the desirability um, step, which is about customers. So what do the customers want from you? Who are they? What jobs do they have to be done? Um, What channels do they like to use? It isn't a big, we typically don't go out and do a big research piece, like a customer research piece. We're not trying to understand customer segments or personas necessarily from a marketing point of view. We're trying to understand that jobs to be done. Mm -hmm. So we we often find sometimes we work alongside branding agencies or marketing agencies that are, or strategists that are doing that kind of thing. Back to that whole using customers to solve business problems um, analogy I used before. So put all those three things together and you've got desirability, feasibility, and viability um, sort of worlds that everyone can understand. And then it's just a backlog of features. So what's next? Click and collect. Great. What's that going to cost? This amount of money. Get the low-hanging fruit first and uh, just start working down from All of that. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Typical yeah. strategies. And, and often what that'll, that'll entail, um, a regular catch-up with all departments and going, what are the top three things that are causing you problems right now, you or your customers' problems, and how might the customer experience ecosystem on whole help you? Maybe it can't. Maybe there's a particular problem which has got nothing to do with customer experience and we can't help you, but you never. You, sometimes we're surprised. So if the service team, if the sales team, marketing team, logistics teams, the CFO all bring out their top three problems, you might find that, okay, if they're really your top three problems and if one of those was to go away in the next two months, that's a big deal, yep. then great. That's the, that's, well, let's pick an initiative that's going to address that. So, so you mentioned a lot of departments there. In, mm. Who owns customer experience in, in, a, in a business? <laughs> This is the exact. This is a huge problem. Um, I've had CEOs say we are customer centric, so therefore every head of those departments owns the customer. And I go, great. So no one does mm. because you, that's you know that everyone knows those rules. Mm. So unless you've got a CXO and you've got a, a CX department, then no one is in charge of it, and that's the problem. Yeah, it's a it's a huge problem. Yeah. I mean, I'd say the CEO has to own this um, the the CX um, because they are. They're representative of the customer ultimately, or they'd say they're their responsibility to the shareholders. So it's kind of different. So yeah, not having a CXO is a huge problem. And we find that 
and and marketing is the wrong department for it to be under. That's often who gets it. Yeah. Um, but I, I find that's, that's not the right department. It's usually it's usually a problem. I mean, re, if it's if it's a retail brand, then we'd say probably retail operations probably is the next most likely owner, or maybe the customer service teams. But customer service teams are usually the um, they're just there fixing other departments' problems. Um, they're not really proactive. So 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 a CXO um, really is is vital. If, if you're looking to retain customers and that person needs to be somebody that works well with all the other departments because o- often what that CXO wants to achieve, they can't do themselves. It's got to be done. So if you want to all of a sudden be doing track and trace, well, you got to be speaking to your logistics people and all of that, and you know. This- but that's just like a, C- a CFO can't do everything either, right? Yeah. So a CFO can only have an a, have a point of view that everyone else has to. Like, I need emails to cost less, so they'll go to the email marketing department and get them to fix it. So uh, it, it's a C suite thing, and that for that very reason, yeah. I think one thing that's a pattern that we've found is that a CX strategy, by definition, includes two or more departments. Mm. Because if it, if it doesn't, then it's just an e-commerce strategy or it's just a marketing strategy. So it's almost, that was sort of an accidental byproduct of our thinking, but it just goes, oh, so whenever we have to pull people together that don't normally work together, it, it looks and smells like a CX project. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way of thinking yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. All right, Danny, anything else you want to add? I think we're, we're probably getting towards our, uh, our uh, limit on the uh, podcast, but yeah, is there anything else you want to add? especially around, you know, COVID-19, what you're seeing out there. I've certainly seen two models. One where people have just said, I'm going to use this to blow these new customers away. And another one that have said, I'm going to cut my staff uh, while this is on. And I just think that's the wrong strategy personally. I would be putting into e-commerce and that whole customer experience every potential resource you've got to make all these new customers coming on board just go, wow, I didn't know this company existed. Aren't they fantastic? If, if I had a team of really well-performing store sales people that weren't, um, that weren't able to work right now, if they're not on live chat, rostered almost 24-7 a day, then you are missing a massive opportunity. Um, we, we we don't expect them to be outbound sales reps. They're not going to. They're not the sorts of people that can get on phones and call people because that's not how they work. But they can be there to help. So, um, I've seen some brands, even in light of all this, because of the the cost savings. Yeah, we we can't afford any new agent accounts on our customer service software, and it just they will. If you put one new agent on your customer service and live chat, they will make the cost of their wage and their agent feedback in two days of the month. Absolutely. And the rest of the month, yeah, the ROI is a no brainer on it at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, you at the end of this crisis, you will probably double the number of multi-channel customers you have. The number of customers that are willing to buy online and in store. Usually, most brands, it's about ten percent of their customers would be willing to buy online. Ninety percent of their customers would only ever buy in store. So, if that's not doubled by the end of this, you've done something wrong. And we know that multi-channel customers now can purchase from you twenty-four-seven. Once everything starts waking up, that's a huge opportunity to to get a real long tail increase of customers that have now been booted up the butt to, to purchase in different ways. It's a great opportunity. And I guess the other risk there is, is if you even if you stay with the same amount of resources you're putting into customer experience now, because the volume on a lot of these sites is some, are, some sites are doubling at the moment, what you could be doing is now all of a sudden all those customers that you were treating well, 
you're no longer treating well because you, your bandwidth is just blown out and you, you're going to lose those good customers that you had. We bought from a, 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 an Australian toy retailer um, and given that toy retailers have, have generally had a bit of bad run lately up, up until this point, two and a half weeks ago for my son's six-year-old birthday, which was yesterday, and none of it arrived, no customer service replies, phone rung, rung off the hook. Yeah. They're not, you know, and we bought, you know, I think it was like $400 worth of toys, all of his toys from one place. Um, two and a half weeks ago, probably cutting a little bit fine, but you know, you'd think, you know, and you see what's happening with you know another discount department store that's got a queue to wait to get into oh, the online store. Crazy, so, <laughs> that is madness. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I can, I feel for them. I know exactly why that's probably happened to them, but it's, it's. Spending money, what money you've got? I mean, people just don't. Some brands just don't have the money. They don't have the war chest. So I really have some. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Not, not everybody's got an unlimited uh, war chest to just do that no. sort of thing. Yeah, especially in retail too. I think you know, as much of these strategies for you and me sound obvious, I just think literally they just can't. They'd love to, but they just they just can't. Um, I'm hoping with the with the job keeper thing coming in that um, they'll be able to activate some staff again. Absolutely, now. but yeah, look, I think the opportunity is there. I think the only other thing I'd say at the end of all of this, people often talk about the ROI of CX, the back of the napkin ROI. I usually throw at people is, what's your ATV? What's your average order value? If it's a hundred dollars, if it's a thousand dollars, whatever it is, um, what if? And then how many active customers do you have in a year? How many customers shop with you as a known customer? at least once in a year. Great. What if one in five of those people shopped one extra time next year mm. or one in two or all of them shopped one extra time on average? Because that'll be the sum of your CX improvements will be they, they will just buy that one extra time. It might even just be bringing a, a, a transaction forward. But if you go from one in 10 to one in one, customers buy one extra time a year at your ATV, what does that add up to? In, re- in new revenue, that's what you've got available to you. Because you don't have that cost of acquisition on them buying again. And then as a result of them buying again, what's the chances of a, a portion of those active customers advocating that someone else should buy through you? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, good news uh, you know, tra- travels, but bad news travels faster. Exactly. Give everything you've got to your best customers. Don't let them down and, and, and just don't – I mean, I see so many brands spending so much money on acquisition. Marketing 101 is, a, you know, it costs five times more to acquire a customer than to keep one. Mm. Just, But I don't see any brand spending anywhere near enough time on the, re- the concept of retention, and that's, that's the number one thing to look at. Just yeah. how many customers shopped with you for the first time last year that haven't shopped again? That's unacceptable. Yeah, that's a failure. Yeah. Okay, Danny, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate your insight. Uh, I've learned a lot about customer experience and, um, yeah, hopefully our podcast listeners have as well. Thanks very much, Danny. No worries. Pleasure. Thanks for joining us today on the e-commerce experience. If you found today's episode valuable, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on our upcoming shows.